Welcome to the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast for another example of astronomy and astronomy-related misconceptions, mistakes, half-truths, and conspiracies. My name is George Robbins, and this is episode 73 for the first third of May 2013. This episode is a recording from my Denver Skepticamp talk entitled Image Analysis for Skeptics, From Faces to Pyramids. It's a very, very, very early draft of my TAM workshop, and so if you have feedback on the subject matter and presentation and various other things, please feel free to send it in. Also, as this was a live talk and was recorded in front of a live studio audience, the sound quality isn't quite up to my normal mediocre level. So that you can follow along at home if you want, I have also uploaded the slides to the show notes section of the website for this episode. So sit back, relax, and enjoy, and I'll be with you again on the other side of the program. All right, uh, so as Rich said, uh, this is a preview for a workshop that actually Brian, the guy with the big green tie in the back, and I will be doing at TAM. Um, this is more of the astronomy side, so it is a very abbreviated version of a workshop. So with that in mind, I think it's going to get fairly obvious as to what I'm going to be talking about if it wasn't obvious from the title. Uh, so with that in mind, does this look familiar to anyone? Anybody recognize this? You can just shout it out if you want, except for Brian. Right? I think it's a surface of the moon. No. This is actually Mars. The One of the big tells for this being Mars as opposed to the moon is that you have some of these angular rocks. These are erosion features that you don't get on the moon because the moon doesn't have an atmosphere. What if I do this? Does this look more familiar? Okay, yeah, there you go. So this is perhaps the infamous face on Mars. This is the original Viking picture, and this is full resolution. It is approximately 50 pixels tall and about 30 pixels across. Here it is, a little bit larger. Uh, so now, this is sort of... What? Look at Sam this one. Yeah, well... <laughs> so this is a little bit larger, and this is sort of the first thing to keep in mind, is that I have increased the number of pixels here, but I haven't actually added any new information. And this is something that still amazes me as to how many people don't understand in the pseudoscientific side that when you increase the size of an image, you do not get more detail. You cannot create more information. Now, in this particular piece of software, Keynote just sort of made everything look more pixelated, but other software will make it look smoother and makes you think that it's added more information, but it really hasn't. And this is a key issue that a lot of us face when we look at a lot of imagery evidence for things like Bigfoot. You're looking at a picture of Bigfoot that's 20 pixels tall or something, and people blow it up and say, oh, look, I can see, I can see ears and I can see big giant feet. And in the case of the face on Mars, a lot of analysis was done throughout the 1980s and 90s on this 50 pixel tall image, and people saw all of these features like teeth right here. This was work done by Mark Carlotto. He said there's teeth in the mouth, and he even said, look, there's a, a dark spot right there. That's the pupil of an eye, and this is an iris, and all of that is embedded in the eye socket. And yeah, I look at that, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe, but let's go to the much higher resolution images that we have now. Okay, the face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So 
you know, the conspiracy people say, well, either NASA bombed, yeah. you know, they nuked it, or that they're just taking it and they're manipulating the image, that the Viking image is the more original version, but that this stuff is all manipulated. But we can see that, you know, if, assuming that we reasonably believe NASA, we can see that the teeth are gone, the pupil's gone, the iris is gone, all of these features that people read into this fairly small image are all missing. And so this gets to the broader issue that we face in skepticism because a lot of stuff is image-based. Apologize to people who are seeing impaired, but a lot of evidence for things, or so-called evidence, is visual. And we often have this situation of we have a few pixels, we have a lot of image noise, and I'll get to what noise is in a minute, and we have this weird feature. So is it real? Is it fake? Might it be real? Might it be fake? And the biggest thing is, how can you tell? So that's sort of the intro to this topic as to why this is important and probably, hopefully, why DJ decided to give a workshop for it. So now we're going to get into a, perhaps a little bit more boring background stuff of what do you need to know in order to study images and to try to figure out what might be going on, what types of anomalies have cropped up. So for this discussion, it really helps if you think of an image not as a pretty picture, in this case a very, very pixelated picture of the moon, but as a 3D display or representation of light. And so this gets to a bunch of numbers, basically. And I know a lot of people don't consider themselves math people. I'm going to try to make it easy with an animation in a minute. But basically, think of it as a graph. In this case, you have a y-axis, you have an x-axis, and each pixel value corresponds to an intensity of light. So this pixel value here is bigger than this pixel value here, and that's represented on this graph, or on this picture of the moon, as brightness and darkness. A way to visualize it is if we actually rotate it like this and get into that third dimension. And so you can see that the brighter parts are basically just bigger values, bigger numerical values and pixels. The reason that this is important is because every single bit of image manipulation, all image processing is, is applying mathematics to these numerical pixel values. And so that's why it helps to think of this stuff as numbers, because it, it all is mathematics. So here's an example of the bullseye, the red, if you can't see the red, there's the bullseye. So the question to you is now, when you take a photo, what are you actually imaging? So I have you know, an iPod Touch, and Rich has been up here with his iPad, and we've been taking photos. You know, If I have this little camera here, and I have it in case of plastic because I'm cheap, what am I actually taking a picture of when I take a picture? Refracted light. <clears throat> Refracted light? Reflected light. What am I taking a picture of besides just lights? Think of a broader thing. So if I, if I turn this on and I take a picture, what am I actually imaging besides light? So here's a spot where I, I might need your help later on to tell me how to better phrase this question. <laughs> what I was going for was I'm taking a picture of you know, what I'm trying to take a picture of but I'm also taking a picture of anything that's on the lens. So in this case, there's you know plastic on here. I'm taking a picture of that plastic. 
I'm also taking a picture of any abnormalities that are in the recording medium itself. So, for example, this is a picture of ghost orbs. You just go to an internet search and type in ghost orbs and you get pictures like this. I can guarantee you that every single thing here was not in the original scene. This is, you know, the object is the scene. Anything on the lens are these ghost orbs. This is dust. Little bits and pieces of dust on the camera lens that have been illuminated by a flash really, really close to the lens itself. And Brian's going to talk a lot more about ghost stuff and ghost images when we do the workshop, but here's the brief foray into that. We also have, this is a good illustration of abnormalities in the recording medium itself. This up here, this spot up here is bluer than the rest of the scene. I can also pretty much guarantee you there was not a big blue floodlight up here, but that this just means that the sensor that was used was more sensitive in the blue in the top of this image. The rest of the image, it was not as sensitive, and so that's why it looks bluer up there. This is also a good illustration. I really like this image because it, it leads us into the next topic of image noise. So you can see, hopefully, that it looks really pixelated. And it's not just because it's been blown up or anything, but it looks like there's you know red, green, blue dots sort of scattered throughout the image. Like this is not an evenly illuminated object, as it should be if there were absolutely no noise in the image. And so we introduce the concept of noise. Noise is present in any kind of image whatsoever. It's on film because of film grain. On digital, it's because of stray electrons, because it's an electronic medium, and statistical counting uncertainty. So what that means is, let's say I were to take a photograph of this table over here, or yeah, this spot on the whiteboard. And when I take that photo, I expose it such that I should get 100 photons. Every single pixel should be a value of 100. Because of the fundamental way the universe works, I'm not going to record 100 at every single pixel. Instead, I'm going to get anywhere from about 90 to 110. The reason is that that's the inherent noise. It's about the square root of the number of counts. So square root of 100 is 10. That means that the noise level is 10%. So it would look something like this. If you had a picture of the moon with a noise level of about 10%. It's really, really noisy and you can't see a lot. And that's sort of what this ghost image is. It's really, really noisy. And it's hard to tell a lot of detail because of that noise. <coughs> so with that in mind, how can you reduce the noise level without with, with using the same camera system so not replacing the detector or anything how could you reduce how do you think you, you could take, reduce if you take uh, each pixel and average its brightness value with the pixels around it that is one way is there another way filter no what would a filter do uh, you mean like in, in a processing filter like in software yeah. or so that's, that's one way to do it after you take the picture. And that leads to its own artifacts um, that I'll talk about in the workshop this summer, but I don't have time today. Uh, but that is another way that you can use to approximate what you think it will look like based on a computer algorithm. Are there other ways? You increase the amount of light. Increase the amount of light, yes. And that really gets to 
what all three of these really are is that you want more light. That is fundamentally the only way to reduce the noise because of this inherent uncertainty in the number of counts. So one way is to use a longer exposure. That's probably the most obvious way of increasing the amount of light other than making the sun brighter. Uh, if sorry, you use a longer, ex yeah. At some point, though, and like, don't you get diminishing returns? That, I mean, isn't there a balance there that we're also looking for? In an ideal recording medium where you don't have limits on how much you can record, no, you don't have any diminishing returns. In real practicality, every single recording medium will saturate, meaning that if if it caps off at a thousand and you try to hit it with two thousand, it's still going to record a thousand. So you're you're going to get that diminishing returns. Which is why, in astronomy, we do multiple images and combine them. It's, it's sort of the poor man's way of getting a longer exposure. So let's say, for example, if we do a longer exposure, and we record, instead of 100 photons, we record 10,000. So that's 100 times more light. The square root of 10,000 is 100, which means that the relative noise is only 1% on that image, as opposed to 10%. A practical way for cameras these days, if you're using a digital camera, is the ISO setting. I'm not going to get into what ISO means or anything like that, but basically the ISO setting is a multiplier. So if you take out a camera now, and you have it on fully auto settings, and you take a picture in this room, and then you look at the settings, your camera will have used a very big ISO number. That's because there's very little light. And so it's taking that light it recorded and it's multiplying it by a large amount in order to make it visible to you. That means that it's not just multiplying the signal, what it actually viewed, but it's multiplying that noise also. If you go outside during lunch or during the next talk, then you take a picture on fully automated settings and you're going to get a lower ISO number because there's more light and there's going to be less noise. Now, as to this last one, it's what you said. It was, you take, at you, well, it's, it's sort of the same as what you said. Um, one way is if you have just one image to work from, and you reduce the size of the image, and you're basically averaging like a group of four pixels together to make one, that will reduce the noise. If you are able to, and you take multiple images, you can do the same thing, but just stacking images on top of each other adding them together, and then dividing by the total number. So just averaging them together. And this gets, again, back to the way where I said at the beginning, this talk makes much more sense if you can think of imaging or a photograph as a 3D graph of light, a bunch of numbers, because otherwise averaging pictures together doesn't make any sense. So here's an example of what I mean by averaging together multiple exposures to reduce the noise. This is... You can think of this as a single pixel on a camera, or you can think of it as a 2D signal that we're trying to diminish the noise from. So let's say this is a star, the light from a star. And the light should be right at 1. And you have a planet that you think is going in front of that star, which means that the light should dip down below 1. But there is so much noise in this image that you have no idea where that planet is, if it's there, or even how big it is, how much it's dimming the light from the star. If we combine this with lots and lots of other images, lots and lots of other time series, 
then we start to reduce the noise. And that signal emerges from that noise. Every factor of 2 that we add on to the amount of light reduces the noise by the square root of 2. So you can see this noise reduction keeps on going down, and you can see this signal from the planet going in front of the star. That's really the basic idea. And what I mean by you can think of this as a pixel in a camera, it's the same thing. So if I take 20 pictures of the moon, and I average together those pictures, every pixel, the noise at every pixel is going to decrease. So this has been a very technical discussion in the last few minutes. I probably lost people. I apologize for that. But it gets back to the teeth on the face on Mars. Remember, this is the original size of the image. This is Mark Carlotto's very big blow-up of that image. This part of the face is supposed to be in shadow, and yet you can see that from pixel to pixel there's a variation in the brightness, a variation in the amount of light. That variation is comparable to the variation up in the eye socket, meaning that we can't say anything about features in that eye socket because it's at the same level as the noise in the image. Same thing about the teeth, is that we can't say anything about their teeth being there because the amount of variation within what should be an evenly illuminated region is the same as the amount of variation right there. And so that's why understanding noise is important because we see a lot of photos like this and people read into these individual pixels and these little tiny variations and they don't look at the other general pixels around it to see whether or not that's actually important. So let's apply all of this and more, but without the actual background stuff, to another thing, another anomaly. Do we ever go back to the moon, Mr. Hoagland? Yes, we will. When, What's really astonishing, and the reason I wanted to do a little update tonight is I've sent over to Lex to be posted on the Coast website an astonishing image taken from orbit. We don't know by whom yet. We're working on that. On the lunar far side, on the opposite side of the moon from the Earth, almost as far away from the Earth as you can get, almost 180 degrees, almost on the equator, just south of the equator, a mile size. Each side is a mile. Ziggurat. It looks like an Egypt, a Sumerian pyramid. It's extraordinary. It's enormous. I love it. It's you got to go look because this is just absolutely astonishing. And I spent now several days trying to make sure this is real. And to the best of our analytical abilities, it's real. There's a whole bunch of little tells around it that tell us. For one thing, hoaxes are never subtle. This is subtle. This is the kind of thing that an expert would instantly recognize, and unless you have trained eyes, it's going to take you a minute or two maybe to see it. But once you see it, you're never going to not see it. Uh, so, does everybody see it? This ziggurat on the moon. Uh, so, that was the venerable Richard C. Hoagland. Uh, and for those who do listen to my podcast you, or read my blog, you probably recognize this because I spent about two or three months last summer battling Richard Hoagland as well as his lackey Mike Barra uh, over whether or not this is real. And I argued that no, this is not real. So we're going to go through and try to figure out why it's not real. And first off, there are a few red flags. 
what are some of the big red flags for this that would lead you to think that this is probably not real? The fact that it's from Call of Duty Zombies Online <laughs> Yes! <laughs> that's a big one. And I don't think that that's an ad hominem or a non sequitur. I mean, when the origin of your photograph is Call of Duty Zombies Forum. Um, Call of Duty, for those <laughs> under 20, or over 20, is a, a shoot 'em up type game, and I guess this one focuses on zombies. And, you know, when, when that's the origin of your image, or when it's like, okay, this photograph of Bigfoot or a ghost appears on an obscure online forum, and that's the origin for an image, that's a big red flag. Any other flags, big ones? A lot of noise in the image? Yes, that's another one, is that this image, and it's hard to tell unfortunately on this projector, but this image has a lot of noise in it. And um, if you could see it on the computer screen, you'd also be able to see texture to that noise that makes it look like uh, it's almost been printed, put inside of a photo album, and then scanned in after it's been in that photo album for a few decades. Any other big red flags? Is this a NASA photograph? So the original is a NASA photograph. This is from the Call of Duty's forum. Push through some sort of filter, like smooth or something like that. It looks like it has had some filtering done to it. Um, that's a more subtle one. Uh, the the other big one that I came up with is that it looks fake. Um, I mean it. Again, it's a little hard to tell on this projector, but if you saw it on a good computer screen, this wall here, this lower wall, is just, it looks like a bad Photoshop job. So with that in mind, some key reasons that we can actually go through and analyze to why it's probably fake is the noise level. And again, it's hard to tell on this projector, but this is the best high-resolution scan that NASA has publicly released. Uh, you can download it from the Lunar Planetary Institute's website. That is the version from Call of Duty's forum. And again, it doesn't really show up on this projector, so we'll just move on from the noise. Another thing is that it's really dark. The shadows in the Ziggurat image are more than the shadows in the NASA image. And the reason why I'm pointing this out is that Mike Barrow consistently stated that this is a more original version of the image than what NASA was putting out. That's impossible. The reason that that's impossible is because there is less detail in the Ziggurat image. You can't magically create detail like this. This detail has been gotten rid of. And what I mean by that is that it has less dynamic range. So this is another concept of imagery that you have to talk about is dynamic range. Dynamic range is the amount of basically gradation from black to white. On an 8-bit image, that means that you can have 2 to the 8th power of grayscale. That's 0 to 255, or 1 to 256, depending on where you start. The NASA version has between 0 and about 245 levels of grayscale. Now, it has a few missing. That means that it's probably been put through a very small levels adjustment filter, but that's not important for this stark contrast between the NASA version 
and the Call of Duty's online zombie forum version. In this, the grayscale goes from 25 to about 170. That is about half of the range that you can use. That means that basically every other light level has been gotten rid of. So that's what I meant by it has more shadow, is that anything, say, between a pixel value of 0 to about 40 in this image has been compressed to about 25. And so that means that this is a less original version of the image, because you can't get, you, you can't really make that up. Why can't you make that up? Well, <coughs> I suppose you could if you really tried, but it would be fake. In other words, you can stretch this back out. You can stretch this back out to be from zero to 255. But when you do that, the software that you're using is going to guess at what those missing levels of grayscale should be. And when it guesses, it's going to base it on all the stuff around it. And when it does that, it can't use data that's not there. So all of this detail here that's there would be missing because it would be, yeah, it would be smoothed out. You can create detail there, going on the pixel level, changing the various um, properties of, a, of that single pixel. So if you, you create your own. Sure. True. If you really wanted to, if you wanted to say that they're very sinister, and they could go in, and you could manually create detail at every single pixel. Now, there are some people who say that that's what NASA did. I would say they don't have nearly enough money for that. Uh, well, <laughs> the Photoshop would have to increase the contrast range on it. Well, with a with a good version of Photoshop, not elements, but you can do cloning, you can do uh, content aware scaling, filling. Uh, you could take that for a, a detail that looks like that from another photograph and put it in there and stitch it in so it would, it would look pretty damn good. And it would. And I'll get to that in, version, in reason number five as to why this is probably fake. But uh, because I do have the time, I forgot to mention in the noise is another aspect of the noise is that you can add noise to an image if you want to cover something up. So let's say, just to throw out a very crazy example, that you took my head and you photoshopped it onto the body of a porn model. And you do a reasonable job, but the neckline does not line up quite right because the porn model has a very thick, muscular neck and I don't. Now let's say you want to put that online and say that I have the body of a porn model. Now, unfortunately, the neckline doesn't line up. I can add noise to that image to make it more difficult to detect whether or not that neckline lines up because I've now removed that fine detail that would tell you, that would give you that extra information. So I'm not saying that's what was done here, but I'm saying that that is something to look for, is that if you have a very noisy version of a photo, that's something that you have to think about. So these first three are more towards the, this is a more, uh, more manipulated version of the original NASA one. So now the last two reasons, the last two key reasons why this is probably fake, it's more of why this is probably 
fake as opposed to it's just a later generation image. This first one is parts of the ziggurat that are in shadow are actually lit up. And again, you can't really see that on this projector, I apologize. But if you could see a good image, this stuff is the moon in shadow, this is the ziggurat wall in shadow, and this is about twice as bright as this area here. And what that means is that someone has put it in there, because you have something that should be in shadow, and it's lit up. You can't really get that on the moon with something that's supposed to be the same color as the rest of the moon. But probably the biggest reason is that it's not in any other image. And this gets to what uh, Rich was saying about how, well, you could use clone stamp and go to other images and bring in that detail. You could recreate that detail if you stretch the levels back out. You could fake it by doing other things. The problem is for the moon, you can't fake it anymore because we have imagery from multiple spacecraft, from multiple different countries, from multiple cameras. So for example, this is a wide-angle camera image and a narrow-angle camera image from the Mars, or not Mars, Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter. Uh, this has a pixel. Each pixel is about 60 meters on a side, so maybe the size of this library. But each pixel here is about 25 centimeters, so the size of my laptop. The ziggurat should be right there. This is the approximate footprint of where that ziggurat should be. This is what it looks like at, since this is only 7% the size, something like 2 meters per pixel. So the reason why you can't go back in and use the clone stamp and fake detail is because we have incredibly high resolution imagery of all of these places now. And if they don't match up, that's a big problem. That would be an indicator that someone has gone in and faked it. And let's say you don't trust NASA because they're involved in the, they're never a straight answer and all that other stuff. Here's the Japanese spacecraft, Kaguya. Same plot on Mars, uh, sorry, I studied Mars for 10 years, it's in my head. <laughs> Same plot on the moon, ziggurat should be right there, and again, it's not. And the craters, each tiny crater lines up with what NASA's craters do. So big, uh, nice fresh crater right there, fresh crater right there. Here's a big subdued crater. We go back to the NAC version. That big subdued crater, that fresh crater right there, is that fresh crater right there. So we can see that all of these fine detail among these various space agency spacecraft do line up, and they do not correspond to what's in that Call of Duty Zombies Forum one. So I've way surpassed my time, uh, but... You've got, you got 15 minutes. Well, yeah, you've heard me talk long enough. Uh, so let's, let's sort of wrap it up. Some of the take-home messages from this are that cameras are not as simple as people think. People think that anyone can take a picture and it will be perfect. You, know, you think that your cat can take a picture, or in this case your cat can eat the camera. But it's not that easy. Pictures are complicated. And even inside of your camera, it is doing stuff to that picture that is changing the light that it actually recorded. It's trying to do it smartly, but anomalies crop up. With that in mind, when you try to analyze photos, a very good rule to keep in mind is that photos are just representations of numbers. And that means that any manipulation you do to the photograph 
is going to change the information that's actually there. There are very, very few things that you can do that don't actually change the information that's there. One of them is rotating by intervals of 90 degrees. Another one is inverting the colors. Those are the only two things that I could really think of. Everything else that you do to an image changes that information that's there. And every time you change the information that's there, anomalies can crop up. And those anomalies are often what people point to for evidence of cities on Mars, UFOs, ghosts, and various other things. With that in mind, figuring out if something is faked is sometimes hard, sometimes takes a very niche or niche little bit of information like the face on Mars, whether or not there's teeth, that takes an understanding of what noise is. But often there are a very few small classes of popular things that are wrong or popular anomalies that lead you to say that something is something else. Like the ghost orbs are 99.9999% dust on the lens. UFOs, tiny little bits of light, are 99% of the time hot pixels, meaning that you have just a defect in your sensor and there's a pixel that's always on, meaning that it's going to be very bright. Those are some common anomalies and in the workshop I'll go through a lot more of them in perhaps detail that makes more sense. And with that in mind, I realize that uh, this is a first version of this talk, so if anyone has constructive feedback, please uh, let me know. I mean, we do have time for questions. I'd rather take questions now than feedback. Um, I'll be here all day, so if you have feedback, let me know. Question? Yes. Could you go into noise down in this area? Are we talking, or are we talking noise? So, we're talking, um, noise can be thought of as basically jitter. You're, you're dealing with an imperfection in our ability to record something. So, let's say, thinking off the top of my head here, um, well, I mean, I guess going back to um, the ghost orb one is a good way to talk about noise, because this is a case where you just had a little bit of light, it was led into the camera, and because the, the camera and the sensor doesn't have enough information to really understand what's there, a lot of noise will creep into that signal. So another way to be thinking of it is sort of like static on speakers. Static from speakers is audio noise because there's stray electrons all over the place and when you turn up the volume but nothing's coming through the speakers, you're going to turn up the volume of that stray static. That's noise, except in an audio sense. It's the exact same thing here, but with photos. Does that sort of make sense? When, or at least a little more sense? When people refer to noise, though, they're talking about volume. I think that's the point she was making, where in reality, I mean, a jet engine, if you're standing right close to it, is a rather noisy experience. But it's really, other than being loud, it's a there's not a lot of acoustic noise in there in terms of variation. So in images, yeah, I, I guess I use a term that everybody uses for images, but yes. probably is not one that is commonly used. For so yes, um, yeah, so in images when I use the term noise, I'm talking about effectively audio static, but in pictures, in picture form. I think you had your hand up first. 
So I was glad that my instinct, I should have said something uh, that about the shadows in the ziggurat uh, was correct. The other thing I observed in that picture is that there's an optical illusion that eventually takes place. That, that cone in the very center, if you, if you look at it for a while, it ceases to have three-dimensional shape the way some of the rest of the, rest of the picture does. And then when you, use the other, uh, when you showed some of the other pictures, it became clear that this is um, some sort of application because it doesn't have the dimensionality that the rest of the image has. I think that's what's going on for me. Yeah, um, if you look at this long enough, it does lose that 3D effect that the rest of the scene does. But when you first look at it, it does have a 3D yeah. effect. And, I mean, this is a good fake. I mean, other than it, it being kind of silly of there being a pyramid on the moon, this is a fairly good fake that takes a bit of doing to really analyze, you know, despite that, it, to us, it, it looks fake, and it likely isn't true, this is fairly good as compared to a lot of ones that I've seen. I think Tristan had his hand up next. Yeah, um, so do you think that uh, this proliferation I've seen in TV shows and movies of like, uh, they'll take like a grainy, yes. TV resolution, uh, yes. a security camera image, and and oh, zoom in and enhance on that license plate, and then they zoom in and it's all pixelated, and they're like enhance, and it like instantly gets. Detailed. Yeah, I blame Star Trek, I blame CSI, I blame Google Maps, because Google Maps, you you start out with like the United States, and you zoom in, and even though each pixel on that original image is the size of a city, you get into detail and you can see cars, and they're like Mike Barra claims that you can by zooming in and increasing the size you can basically get one pixel that covered that parking lot and zoom in and somehow increase the size of that pixel and see individual cars. And you can't do that. That information was not recorded. Uh, I was just going to say, on your, in your presentation, I didn't really hear you talk about pareidolia or patternicity. This is just the, what the human mind does with anything that kind of represents this. Yes. Um, pareidolia is very strong with the face. I mean, yeah, this this looks like a face. I mean, it's a face. But to us as humans, that's because we're humans. We we are trained to recognize faces. And pareidolia is a big issue with analyzing images, but it doesn't get into a lot of the of the hoaxes and stuff in this case um, that I talked about because I I only had time for you know one and a half examples and. I, I went over that a lot. I'm curious about the role of psychological training. So, like, they told us what to see. Yes. Um, and how, how much that is going to And that's also a big issue with pareidolia, is, you know, especially with audio pareidolia. Uh, if, you, if you want to use something visual and apply it to audio as opposed to noise, going from audio to visual, audio pareidolia, you know, when, whenever I hear the... the what is it? Where you record the noise or static and it sounds like a person? Brian, help me out. EVPs. EVPs, electronic voice phenomena. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you're told it's a little kid saying, please help me, you suddenly hear that right away. But if you hadn't been primed with that, you don't hear that 
at all until you're told. And so, I, in this, you know, in the two examples I used, that's not really an issue because, I mean, the ziggurat was clearly a ziggurat. The face looks clearly like a face. But that is an issue, uh, priming, with that kind of stuff. Um, maybe time for one more. Uh, two. Well, maybe two. Two. <laughs> So this gets into the classified military technology that I don't know much about, obviously, uh, anything about. Um, there are various ways to get high-resolution photos through Earth's atmosphere. I mean, this was it was actually military technology that was declassified in the late 90s that led to uh, adaptive optics, which is where we can physically flex the mirror of a telescope to be in tune with the turbulence of the atmosphere and get much better images through it. Now, as to whether or not you can image a candy bar from space, that would require an incredibly narrow angle lens and an incredibly high pixel space, incredibly high resolution detector, because not only do you have to have big magnification, but you have to have pixels that can actually resolve that. I mean, that's the same thing where it's like, I can attach a giant telescope to a cell phone camera, and I would see the planet Uranus as maybe two pixels. But I could attach that same telescope to a very good astronomical CCD and get much more detail. So that gets into two different things that you need. You know, maybe they can image a candy bar now. If so, that technology, as far as I know, is not declassified. So I don't know if it exists. And that's different from after the pictures are taken. After the pixels are assigned to space and, and their information, there's no way to get more information from them. Correct. I mean, again, programs like Photoshop are very happy to pretend that it can. And you might be able to get a little bit more, possibly. But there's no way you can take each pixel, expand the image by a factor of 10, and have 10 times, you know, I guess 100 times its area, more detail. That is not possible. And a lot of people think it is, again, probably because Google Earth these days and other, you know, Star Trek did that, magnify, magnify, magnify. Well, once we get to, you know, 10 gigapixel images, you'll be able to do that. But again, that's because it's been recorded originally. Right. And you're exactly. just downsampling it for view. Right. Well, yeah, I have a... This is the last question. Last, well, it's not a question, but... Last comment when I needed you. Uh, back in February, I gave a talk to Engineering Scholarship Foundation. I talked about my experiences with the Apollo program landing on the moon and took questions, some from the students that were guests there. And one of the gentlemen who was uh, on the foundation board of directors said, what about these uh, pictures on the moon where there's a... Uh, uh, buildings and structures and everything. I'd never heard of it before. And I said, well, I, I'm really baffled to hear that because I've seen some photographs where you can actually see the tracks of the lunar, of the lunar uh, rover uh, traveling around uh, on, the, on the surface of the moon. 
and he said, well, Richard Hoagland's got uh, these pictures. And at yes, that time, I didn't realize it was something this ridiculous. So Yeah, I, it's that, and it's stuff like this, where yeah. you have these pixelations and linear features. That concluded the live show. The next episode of this podcast will be the promised True Color of Mars episode, to likely be followed by an interview with a legal professional about the case of David Coppage, the young Earth creationist who sued NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory for, allegedly, discrimination. And he lost. That wraps up this topic for the 73rd edition of the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed it and learned some stuff at the same time. For more information about this podcast, please visit the website at podcast.sjrdesign.net. If you have any feedback, please use the feedback form on the website or send an email to podcast.sjrdesign.net or leave a comment on any of the four normal things that you normally hear me say at the end of this, or you can send a tweet, at PseudoAstro. I do read every message and appreciate the feedback. If you have suggestions for topics, please feel free to make them. Also, please write a review and rate this podcast on iTunes or your portal of choice. If you liked it, also tell friends, family, and several random people you probably won't ever meet in real life. Also, please send suggestions for other services to which I could submit the podcast feed to in order to get a wider distribution. 